0: Welcome to Galaxy Brains. Podcast and Galaxy Research, yo, we're back and we laugh at attacks while we're stacking our sats. Turn our backs on the cash, yo, we're independent. Live like an angry email, just send it. We know beauty, dude, it flows through me. If you see me laughing, dog, just know I'm so goofy. People in showers with wands, that's so ooty. All the corners are invited to the citadel, there's no snooty. Listen, dude, we in the mood for more freedom. Every street, I'm flowing, no, so creeds, and I bleed him from my pen to the page, to the mic. When I rage and I might be a mage, tap a wizard on the stage. Yo, a million silly cantillionaires fill in the air with a billion trillion villainy stares. A zillion glares when I'm breaking vertebrae. Yo, the nerds are doing great because we're breaking 30K on Galaxy Brains. As always. I'm your host, Alex Thorne, Head of Firmwide Research at Galaxy Digital. Thank you for listening to Galaxy Brains. We have a great show for you today. As I said, we're talking with Taproot Wizard number one, Udi Wertheimer, about Bitcoin, Bitcoin maximalism, lightning, ordinals, and much more. We'll also check in with our good friend, Bimnet of BB from Galaxy Trading, as always, to discuss markets and macro. But before we get into all of that, I need to remind you to please refer to the link to the disclaimer on the podcast notes. And note that none of the information contained in this podcast represents investment advice or an offer recommendation or solicitation by Galaxy Digital or any of its affiliates to buy or sell any securities. Man, we got a good one today. Let's get right into it. Let's go now to our friend Bimnet BB from Galaxy Trading. As always, my friend, great to see you. Thanks for having me. It's a it's a fun week, I would say. I mean, you had it's been a fun year. Yeah. I mean, what a year. We I started
1: mean, at sixteen K. We're at thirty thousand four hundred and fifty yeah. right I mean, now. Let's you know, go.
0: Yeah. I think um, you know, Mike was on CNBC earlier this week and uh Joe Kiernan was like, Look, Mike, you said last year that 30K you thought would be the strong support. And Mike was like, I was wrong. But actually, like, you know, from 30K down to sixteen five. It was really inorganic for selling due to all of those blowups, right? So I feel like back at 30, I'm, I'm not saying it should, you know, that it's, it fe- feels right. Like it doesn't, I mean, it, it it's, feels it's a, low. We're more than 50% off all time high still. It's clearly yeah. a bear market, but this feels like a, a, a fairer price for Bitcoin right now. It is a
1: fairer price. And it's a price that's gotten achieved without that much leverage. Right, this is uh, an ecosystem and an asset class that's been completely delevered. Right, there's much less like OTC lending. There's no crazy FTX perp market. Right, and so credit has really tightened, and so it, this is really like organic spot driven. And you know, the other thing to think about it, it's Bitcoin led as well. Yeah, Obviously, this ETH, year, th- this year, yeah. you know, ETH is having a little bit of a moment now. We can get into that a yeah. little bit later, but it's Bitcoin outperforming because it's got a story. And, you know, going back to that interview, right, like the theme is pretty clear, right? Dollar is selling off because the Fed is gonna be eventually cutting, or or the hikes are, are stopping, right, and so you're getting a, a negative dollar story in the market, is taking out 110, new highs, gold through 2K, and is sustaining it now. We're at new trend highs wow. this morning. And so, you know, the story is there, the chart is there, it's organic, you're getting technical breakouts, and then on top of that, you've got uh, a wonderful community in ETH that's continuing to to push development. And you had an awesome, you know, upgrade go through through last yeah. night. And uh, now ETH is through two K. Right. And so you know, lots of things pointing up. I would say the risk to all of this uh, was highlighted yesterday in the CPI report. Right. We did see um, reasonable strength in in core CPI, even though we had a little miss in, in headline. But there's still remarkable strength in in, in services uh, pricing and, and inflation. Season, basically. Yeah, correct. Yeah. yeah, but we see the the writing on the wall. But it's just it's just tough to be like uh, we're gonna eventually cut rates, but your core CPI is still above five percent. and yeah. you're targeting two.
0: Yeah, like I saw that some people are saying, some economists, some Wall Street folks are are saying, and I think you've said this before too, um, that they'll have to cut before they get to their two percent target. That they won't get to two percent. I don't. What does that mean? Will they? And also, is that a, a that seems if that's true, if that happens, that's a game changer for the way people think about central banks managing inflation. If they, if basically we have to accept longer term inflation, even if it eventually gets back down there, they'll have ended their their policy maneuvers yeah. before reaching their target. Um, I mean, do you think we'll be down to two percent by the time that they, the street thinks they might cut at the end of the year?
1: No, no, probably not. yeah,, uh, but they look favorably upon data that suggests that you know we're not accelerating again and that we're clearly moving moving lower. But I think what you're really hitting on is, you know, what is this two percent inflation target? And is it really something that we should just be sticking to as like you know that's the rule of thumb. That's the target. That's how you know the the market's going to operate. And if you talk to economists, they'll be like, well, that 2% inflation targeting has generally worked pretty well. Um, and, you know, there's a whole ton of data that, that supports it. But again, times are different now. Um, and so it's, it's a very interesting debate. Um, yeah, the issue, the other issue is that you can't just communicate for decades that your inflation, you know, t- trying to target 2% inflation and then suddenly switch, right? Yeah. You have a huge, you know, credibility issue, you know, if you're going to change your stance. Um, and so, you know, my understanding of, of, where things stand right now in terms of, you know, Fed and folks that think about, you know, inflation targeting, et cetera, is that because of that credibility issue, it's it's going to be basically impossible for for them to outwardly communicate that they are okay. Yeah, with so they'll uh, always like
0: just targeting a higher level than two percent. They'll just be calling for two percent the well, whole time, even if they can't so raise they'll, rates. They'll
1: phrase it differently. Like when we were on the way up, and Yellen was you know Fed secretary. Like, they, like, inflation averaging was how they talked about it. They want inflation to average around 2%, <laughs> so, you know, it can go above and below, right? And so it's, it's a moving goalpost. And realistically, like, what the Fed's trying to do is is trying to have a set of, like, financial conditions that doesn't harm the economy too much but doesn't help the economy too much either. Like, not too hot, not too cold with people having jobs and without, like, financial stress in the system where people are like, oh, do I trust my banks? Right. Right. Do I trust, you know, like FDIC to ensure like my balances. And so, you know, they have a handful of jobs and I think they're doing okay now. But in theory, like, you know, if you take a step back, where are we? We're like inflation's not skyrocketing right now. It's high. It's definitely hurting people because, you know, on average, uh like, you know, the inflation impacts like lower income people um, a a lot more, right? Like shelters, a higher portion of like their expenses, like all all that stuff. So it's definitely still impacting people, but those people still have jobs, right? And the federal government is still spending, you know, trillions of dollars a year, you know, food stamps, federal assistance, home freezing, uh, student loans, et cetera. So there's support for lots of people it, via the employment market, via social transfers, et cetera. Um, and then there's generally financial stability. Like stocks are – NASDAQ's up like 15% on the year. Home prices haven't like really collapsed that much. So generally speaking, like things look okay.
0: Yeah. and wild. like,
1: And like, wait, like, yeah. It's so, pretty wild. Yeah. Let's
0: talk about um ETH a little bit and ETH, BTC. Absolutely. And so uh, you, you, you referenced that the – so it's, we're recording on Thursday, April 13th last night on wednesday april 12th around 6 30 p.m at 6 30 p.m eastern um ethereum uh upgraded to both shanghai and capella but basically it's referred to as shanghai it's because now they have consensus layer and an execution That's, layer yes but basically this one upgrade which was primarily to enable unstaking of staked eth right the, the completion of the merge right because um and it was a success it appears and um There's been a lot of talk about and there was a lot of speculation uh, by folks leading into the event that how how would this create a supply shock sell side uh, selling, right? All these people have been locked up for three years. Like maybe they're going to unstake and then sell. Um, We aren't really seeing that. Certainly on a net basis, it looks actually like more people are even depositing now. Into the staking contract than withdrawing. Um, ETH went through 2K on the news. Um, ETH BTC is up. Bitcoin's up too, but the last couple, you know, last 24 hours or, t- or I guess 12 hours or so has been an ETH-led move. Absolutely. Um, where where do we see this going? What, what are your thoughts on that?
1: Um, you know, I, uh, in the camp of, one, you have to respect the trend, right? Clearly, you know, Bitcoin and Ethereum are trending, right? They're trending higher. It's organic and it's one of those self-fulfilling things where it's like, it Mike said it best yesterday basically when when stuff's going up, the adoption cycle actually accelerates, yeah, right, and so you have two assets that that are trending higher, right then you have technical things right thirty k two k these are huge psychological levels, right typically when you've seen you know these kind of big levels go, there's normally like meaningful follow through right so I'm still generally in the camp that. These assets are trending. You're meant to buy dips. And if you see breaks through resistance, you're likely going to get follow through. Third, I mean, technically speaking, you just have to follow, like, are people depositing more ETH? Right. Right? It is now a proof of stake network. And I think there's going to be a lot more ETH deposited over time. Um, And clearly, the value accrual and how people think about value accrual, like, in crypto and in defi etc like it's changing like e- eth is outperforming most of the, the alts right bitcoin's been outperforming like most of the alts and so it's clearly becoming very eth and btc centric in in crypto and less so about you know random defi tokens other l1s like eth has clearly established itself as the preeminent smart contract yeah. platform right especially
0: throughout all these l2s and the development happening there it's sort of like why do we need Alt L1 block space, if you can go to a L2, I'm not saying that's the only way of thinking about it, but I think the market is really sort of looking at it that way right now.
1: Absolutely. And so I'm I'm constructive on on both. Um, But personally, I'm still in the, uh, you know, Bitcoin camp. And, you know, I think the fiat debasement narrative has a lot more room to run. And the most important thing happening in markets is is the sea shift in monetary policy that the market is starting to sniff out, right? It's a big deal to go from like, we're worried about six, 7% interest rates to when is the Fed cutting? You've just had a huge transition. And then you have all of these other sort of factors, which are super interesting. They're always around, but the geopolitical stuff, right? Like, you know, Russia and Saudi Arabia cooperating on on oil, Macron being like, hey, like if China and Taiwan like happen, like I'm going to pick my own lane like there's so many interesting like other narratives that aren't really dollar supportive right um happening that you know that's kind of like the 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 sea change i'm paying most attention to and it has the best sort of follow-through into bitcoin in my eyes but at some point like there is an inflection point with respect to the adoption cycle in bitcoin where the institutions that are going to come in and the size like precipitates bigger institutions and more size and it gets to a point where where it's you know non-linear and gets convex totally and i think you know you kind of had that you well you need like regulation to to eventually get there like at least in, in the u.s but ultimately like i think the world of asset managers risk takers pensioners anybody that manages money if bitcoin gets through like 40k or 50k again like the fomo that will take place yeah. amongst institutions I think is is going to be pretty yeah you know pretty intense um and you know what crypto is really after or at least why I, I like crypto is it has still hasn't captured nearly a fraction of like the wealth in the world um and of the global assets even the attention span etc and once you really start like getting like point one point two basis points of huge huge multi-billion dollar you know trillion dollar portfolios that's when this asset class takes off yeah and so where, where does it take off? It's going to take off in the large cap, the biggest size thing. And so Bitcoin is going to be the first thing to go and like higher beta stuff like ETH might follow and you might outperform. But really to get that like insane, like inflection as an asset class, you have to draw in like huge, huge pools of money. And the best way to do that is to get big. Yeah. Right? Like it's, yeah. it's a size thing. Like a, a, if you're a big company, a lot more companies can look to invest in you. Right. Right. After you're just t- talking the equity world. Much more
0: liquidity. Much exactly. more. Exactly.
1: Yeah. Right. And that was the whole idea about, you know, one of these things like the FTX perp market. Right. One of the reasons why alts got so big was because of the liquidity. Right. The idea that, you know, I'm a hedge fund somewhere, a risk manager, or some, you know, offshore guy and you know, I've got capital and I want to invest in all, it's like if I can get in and out quickly, if I can hedge that risk, if I can earn the the forward interest rates or hedge my staking yield somehow, right? Like the ability to do those things makes people more comfortable in that asset class and, you know, drives adoption, you know, buying, so on and so forth. And so being big, liquid, right, only helps you get bigger Bigger. and more liquid, which then becomes self-fulfilling. Yep. And then it's all, it's like, then you think about it like other ways. It's like, okay, when things get bigger, what happens? Like, vol comes down because, you know, they're dip buyers because and institutions dip by and like vol comes down, that means you can hold more of the position. And so it's like, as you get bigger, vol comes down, more people enter yep. and then it like gets self filling. So there is an inflection point somewhere. Do I know where that is? No. <laughs> Am I getting a sense on when that timing is? Yes. Um, that timing in my head, I'm I'm thinking
0: looking at the having you're
1: having thinking. you know the end of the fed cycle like really like yeah you know europe not worrying about inflation right like and so th- th- there's a lot of variables um you know but I-, I take my readings from the market and right now it's the world's best performing asset class risk adjusted outright and tough not to be looking at it
0: bimnet abibi from galaxy trading my friend as always thank you for joining us Let's go now to our guest, Udi Wertheimer, Taproot Wizard Number One. That's me. Welcome to New York, my friend. Yeah,
2: yeah. I uh, I'm on vacation now, so I only wear the hat, not the full suit. But yeah.
0: So What's yeah, it, when you're so you're you're saying your work outfit is the full wizard garb. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. now you're just the hat and the and the glasses. But the glasses, I mean, that's the been glasses
2: around. are part of the. Yeah, that's official. Do
0: you wear the glasses with the wizard outfit?
2: No, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> it's actually interesting. You know, we had this. Uh, we had this wizard shower quest when we asked people to take uh, showers, yeah, on video with a wizard costume, <laughs> and, and a lot of them did it with uh, sunglasses. <laughs> that was not part of the specifications, but
0: yeah. Yeah, well, they're playing into your longtime sunglasses uh, avatar. Yes. Which is, I guess, you're in real life here with them on. It's not yes. just an avatar. Yes,
2: I. Uh, it's funny story. That that's a photo from like, um, let's see. Maybe 20 years ago. Yeah, you're
0: in front of like, a, <laughs> what, a bunch of leaves or something? Yeah, a bush?
2: Yeah. Yeah, I think I was in... Uh, I think I was visiting Brazil. Hmm. And uh, it was just... Anyways, you know, later, when I was deciding to pick up my... Pick my social media uh, photos just because <laughs> social media did not exist before. That's how old I am. So I was looking for my first social media photo. And I was like, man, I don't have... Selfies, because that was in a time that people did not take selfies. It was like a
0: digital camera, right? Someone took it of you. Yeah, so I was like, okay,
2: this is the only photo I have. I'll use this, (laughs) and it stuck. Like people are like, wait, why do you have a? I don't. Is there isn't a reason? (laughs) But then it caught on, so I just started walking around with sunglasses so that people recognize me.
0: So, uh, for our listeners uh, who don't know Udi. Um, he's a great follow on Twitter, by the way. Uh, give us your background Arguable. in Bitcoin. You've been in, involved in Bitcoin for a long time. I recall you uh, following you for many years at this point. Yeah, yeah. How did you, um, you get involved in the first place or interested?
2: So, you know, I, I'm i like a software developer by trade. And uh, like probably 10 years ago or whenever it was, I stumbled upon the Bitcoin white paper. And then, you know, the usual story of sleepless nights for weeks and... Uh, and um all of your friends disowning you because you won't (laughs) shut up about it yeah you won't shut up about it and they're convinced that you're a criminal uh you know that that kind of usual story and um and for a while you know for a while i i was a quiet shy bitcoiner which by the way i think it's like the way to go like the, the the kind of many of the bitcoiners i respect the most are the ones who just yeah they you know they heard about bitcoin they bought a little bit every week every month whatever and they just don't they live out their lives Yeah, <laughs> they you mean not, like they're not I, obsessed like we like we are <laughs> like i just
0: especially they take the time to learn it a bit too right like, yeah not like i just found out about bitcoin and i'm here to save it
2: yeah um,
0: yeah yeah i was a little bit similar i mean i think i found out in, in 2012 about it um and then got really interested in 2015 and then um started working on it at Fidelity in 2017 mm-hmm. or 2016 or 17 and didn't join Twitter until like the end of 2017, which was a big no-no at Fidelity, by the way, but we mm. just did it anyway. <laughs> Sorry, Fidelity. Uh, <laughs> so you, you had that sort of normal, uh, that, that sort of classic story, but how did you become and start to become public about what was your first foray into public Bitcoin world?
2: Yeah, I think you know I made the mistake of uh, <laughs> combining this personal passion with my professional life, and I you know I joined the, um, uh, like a Bitcoin startup in Tel Aviv, um, probably in 2015 or 16. It was called Kolu. Um, funnily enough, it, it, we worked on like you know collared coins back at the time, which is kind of related to the Oral stuff that popped up recently. that We're going to talk about probably. Mm-hmm. Um, But yeah, you know. So as I started to, as I started to combine my uh, personal and professional passions together, um, I started speaking out about Bitcoin more, too. And I think that probably, um, probably, you know, around twenty seventeen, with you know the two big events were like the big ICO rally and the other was probably the big like block size wars in bitcoin and i was kind of vocal about both of these and i think that's kind of how um i got this sort of semi popular bitcoin twitter account over right? time right. <laughs> yeah that's probably how it happened i think at the time it was there, there weren't a lot of people who talked about it and not a lot of people were skilled enough in you know analyzing what's going on these days <laughs> if I if I if I said the basic stuff I used to say back then today like no one would have even noticed it was very basic <laughs> I know. but uh, crypto Twitter
0: has gone down the rabbit hole pretty it's been years yeah. at this point people are very smart now yeah if you say something wrong you'll find <laughs> out in about five seconds yeah <laughs> um Let, let's talk about Let's let's jump forward. We might jump back to – I'd love to ask you about some of the more foundational things. You mentioned the block size wars. We have Johnny Beer's book right behind you. Mm. I don't know if the camera can see that, but um, one of my favorite – maybe my single favorite book actually in the crypto space. Yeah. Um, it's really uh, good. Yeah, it's just great history. If you don't know that history, um, you should. Um, but let's jump forward. I called you Taproot Wizard, number one. Um, ta- uh, Taproot Wizards is a collection of – Bitcoin NFTs, I'm gonna say, but Ordinals on yeah. Bitcoin. What was your reaction actually when Casey Rottermore yeah, launched Ordinals and everyone found out about it? You know, and like I guess it was like I think it's fair to say you probably found out in like January or so. Like the you know yeah. it was really when it started to people started to realize what had happened.
2: Yeah, so I uh, I usually fade things, <laughs> and I definitely faded Ordinals too. I was um, uh, I was very skeptical about it, like you know skeptical. I, my my original thinking was like, okay, this sounds, one, boring, two, like no one's going to care, three, like Bitcoin is not a good fit for any of this, um, f- four, no one's going to care. Yeah. <laughs> um, and um, I think what changed my mind was when I saw how the Bitcoin maximalists were so furious about it. So they, they were fuming on Twitter. And I was like, wait, what are they even talking about? What What is this thing? It doesn't even, it barely even exists, but they seem really mad. <laughs> and that was, so, you know, the first Taproot wizard that we inscribed, that was a four megabyte transaction, a four megabyte block, the biggest Bitcoin transaction in history. Uh, kind of made a statement with that one. The point was to <laughs> kind of, you know, put a big like, um, a big block in front of the Bitcoin Maximus that they cannot ignore and that was inscription number 652 right we're over a million now um, that was and it know, was
0: it was the magic uh, internet money meme sort of reimagined with Taproot Wizards right?
2: Right right so it was the like in 2013 there was this meme uh, on the Bitcoin subreddit that uh, they used it in order to promote the subreddit if you think back to 2013 people didn't know what Bitcoin was right most people like today you say Bitcoin everyone knows at least that it's a thing that exists but back then if if you say Bitcoin to someone either they don't know what it is in most cases or they think you're a criminal. Right, those were the only two options. Right. So the Bitcoin subreddit was like, okay, we need to like somehow improve the public image, at least in order to get like the only goal was to get more, you know, subscribers to the subreddit. That was it. Um, so they did this competition for an ad. They they were looking for an ad to to advertise the subreddit. And this guy that has this pseudonym Maven's Bot shows up, draws this wizard, looks like it was made in Microsoft Paint. Yeah. Uh it wasn't, by the way. He told us the story. It wasn't made in Microsoft Paint, but it intentionally looks like it was. And it just says, like, magical in on money, uh, you know, our Bitcoin, join us. That's all it says. And not only did he win the competition and probably, like, a bunch of Bitcoins, which were not worth a lot back then, not only did, we, did he win that, they put that on the front page of Reddit, and it ended up being, at the time, the, the best-performing ad on the entirety of Reddit. <laughs> Um, and it did wonders for the subreddit. I think it doubled in size very quickly. Um, they, they say that there was a South Park episode that actually was inspired by, or that has. <clears throat> I keep kicking the mic. That is
0: that has a, a drawing that is inspired by. I got to think wizard. about that. I, I don't recall it, but I haven't watched a lot of South Park since like twenty fifteen sixteen. Do you remember the Xbox PlayStation
2: Wars? Episode? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So they they pretend to be like uh, Lord of the Rings characters. Phenomenal episode. So so in one in 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 one of the like that was a multi part episode.
0: Oh oh oh! I think I know what you're talking draws... about. The, the, the police sketch of them, yeah. right or whatever. Yeah yeah yeah.
2: Yeah, and they <laughs> they say, a police sketch or police, it might not be a police yeah. sketch,
0: but a sketch. Some sketch, yeah, some sketch. I remember think... the kids are missing. The parents are all looking for them.
2: <laughs> yeah, it shows Cartman in 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 wizard costume, and it has like the same call to action and the same font. So, Interesting. And it it was the same period of time. It was like, you know, a few weeks later. So it's amazing.
0: So you inscribed inscription uh, 652, uh, which was the first four megabyte block, you and and your Taproot Wizard friends. Um, And it's a take on that. And then did that, had you already planned on doing this Taproot Wizards collection when you did that? Or was it sort of like, damn, this is pretty funny. And like, it's, it's, (laughs) you know, like it, it, it seems to be gaining some traction. Like maybe we should take this a step further. So
2: uh, the evil plan is much worse than that. We actually worked on that for months before uh before we even knew about Ordinals. Um we we knew that we wanted you know I had this theory that um that as bitcoiners we have a lot to learn from what happened in the NFT communities the last couple of years. Um and that we can probably onboard more people to Bitcoin if we try to appeal to that crowd. Um, And we were, you know, we were working on a way to have some NFT collection that is somehow connected to Bitcoin and Bitcoin history. We didn't know, but, you know, we didn't have the very important technical piece of how to actually do it, (laughs) you know? So we had, you know, we had some artwork. um, We had some ideas around how we're going to engage the community, but we didn't have that very important piece, so we, you know, cut and sat on it and and, and waited to see what's gonna happen. And then when all of us showed up and and when we saw, you know, going back to how the, the early reaction I saw, um, I was like, you know what, this this could be the this could be a really good fit for this. And so we, you know, we pulled out all of the plans that we already had and, and kind of went there. Um yeah, so the <laughs> the 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 thing though, it was really early. Like if you you know, of course whenever you do something, you never feel like it's early. You always feel like it's late. So we were in inscription six hundred fifty two and we're like, ah man, we missed it. <laughs> it's too late. But but um but still, you know, obviously you look at the whole thing, we're now at inscription number million. Six hundred fifty two was very early. Mm-hmm. And that was what was so amazing to me is that such an amazing uh, it's such an early period and so very few people were even paying attention to this uh and still the bitcoin max knew to be to fume about this when it barely even
0: existed so that was a very that was really a very big signal for us that was why let's talk about uh before we, there's a lot of places i want to take this conversation but let's talk about <laughs> what you learned from the ethereum nft community I, i've heard mm-hmm. you talk about this on other podcasts um what was it about what is it about and by the way you said you fade things I recall that you, yeah you faded NFTs as well oh, absolutely um at the time um but you, then you came around what was it that brought you around to Ethereum's NFT crowd and then what did you learn from it that you wanted to bring to Bitcoin
2: yeah so if you know if we if we think back like NFTs existed on Bitcoin first probably like I don't know 2014 15 Yeah there's I
0: forget the there, there was a the, the, we we have this in one of our report I think in the Ordinals report that we put out there was like a first one it was quite a while ago but then of yeah. course you have Counterparty and, yeah. and stuff, and, and rare Pepe's, which are still around. Yeah, in fact, there, I believe there's a rare Pepe uh, thing being auctioned at Pubkey this week in New York. Yeah, um, that's cool. Yeah, um, but yeah, so started so, on Bitcoin. You know,
2: started on Bitcoin, and I uh, I faded them back then. You know, ten years ago, I faded them, <laughs> and I when when you know when CryptoPunk started, I was like, hey, that's like that's what 2017. I, I remember, I vividly re- recall thinking they're dumb when they were free, right? And, you know, 2021, 2022, when the real like uh, mainstream interests started coming into, I was still fighting them for a while. I think it was only only last year in 2022 when I was finally like, you know what? Possibly I was wrong about this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And um, I think it, it was two things that really kind of caught my attention. Like I'm not, you know, I don't think I'm ever gonna be like a big NFT collector myself. Don't think I have that skill, but um, I can really see the kind of passion that people have for this stuff. And that's, that's, you know, that's really important, that matters. And with, with Bitcoin, you know, I've spent what, like a decade um, trying to onboard pretty much every single person I ever talked to, to Bitcoin, right? And my success rate has been, you know, not bad, uh, probably like around 5% of the yep. <laughs> of the people I talk to because most people don't care, right? Like you do, you can't force someone to care about Bitcoin. Uh, most people do not sit around thinking about monetary policies all day. That's just not, <laughs> you know, not the, their first yeah, priority. Yeah, it's pretty nerdy to yeah, do that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's not a very cool thing. It's not like when you start that conversation, it's not a conversation people want to have. Uh, It's very uncomfortable, you know. Um, So most people, we forget that in crypto because we're all in crypto. So we forget that normal people have, you know, actual lives. (laughs) 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 And they're not insane like we are. (laughs) So, you know, it's not a a comfortable topic for most people. However, um, what I kind of realized is, well, we can we can transfer a lot of those values that we care about, like, you know, self-sovereignty, decentralization, self-custody, to this new generation of people who never cared about monetary policy maybe, and maybe not about smart contract tech, but they care about culture, they care about art, they care about uh, community, they care about all those things. And and that's kind of a way, that's kind of a gateway drug, I think, into, into those things we care about. And we end up with you know, we can, I think, end up in a similar place where, OK, maybe we didn't sell them on Bitcoin specifically, but we sold them on the values or at least some of them.
0: Yeah, the Ethereum NFT community um, is, I, I mean, I think they're largely non-custodial, right? I mean, they're... Yeah. Now, the poor... I think you had a great threat, actually. Uh, maybe it was even like, at this point, maybe six months ago, explaining uh, to NFT uh, holders and users um how to do like self custody safely yeah. because they get tend to get rugged a lot because they're the sort of function of um NFT ecosystem involvement requires a lot of times that you keep them in a hot wallet like yeah. in your metamask yeah like you can't join a token gated community with like a you can but like it's much easier yeah. than than pulling out your ledger or your trezor hardware wallet to just like keep it in metamask and then that opens up a bunch of victors. but but nonetheless right i mean NFTs are non-custodial is almost entirely, mm. right? Um And I think you made the point that they may have brought more total people in absolute terms to self-custody than Bitcoin has.
2: I, I think definitely in the last two years, I think almost certainly they have. You know, like maybe not in the entire history yeah. of Bitcoin, but in the last bull run, I'm almost certain. You, you know, you look at numbers of, you know, users of MetaMask and Coinbase Wallet and, and, and Trust Wallet and, and those kind of... Um, these ones are way, way bigger than any of the Bitcoin self-custody ones. Way big, like orders of magnitude bigger. I mean, MetaMask right? is uh,
0: it's well over 10 million wallets. I mean, I, I forget. I, I think that number they, is even stale. I it believe could be 20.
2: Yeah, I think they talked about having 30 million wow. uh, in the, you know, kind of the pick of the bull. And I think that Coinbase and, and TrustWallet, which is the Binance one, have similar numbers. And those are not, people are using this with Bitcoin, right? Those are people who are actively, either they used it with DeFi or with NFT stuff. Because both of those uh, kind of require you to have a self-custody wallet. Well, Bitcoin, you know, doesn't require you. I think a lot of people, you know, go to the exchange or they buy some and that's it. Um, that's
0: where the In fact, a lot ends. of the exchanges, I think maybe Binance does now um, and and some some are starting to, but um, I know, also like on the custodianship side, on the institutional custody side, most don't support NFTs, and and I think mm. one of the reasons I was told yeah. once was that um, they all use like Omnibus cold storage, right? Like mm. Hot Wallet, and then yeah. you sweep it all in, but like that basically only works for fungible tokens, yep. right? So because you know, in some cases you could pay more for a custom vault, like if a, a sub account or something, yep. that, but. For NFTs, it basically requires that, yeah, because they're you can't just like pay me out whatever Bitcoin I put in, yeah, like in you know Bitcoin volume terms. You've got to give me the NFT that I yep. put in, and uh, they're they're woefully behind on that. So you, you can't mm. really store. I don't think you can. Maybe in Coinbase Wallet now, which is their non custodial wallet. Yeah, exactly. Um, but not on Coinbase.com. I exactly. Yeah, which um, is interesting. Like, yeah, yeah. The the dynamics of it are very different. Yeah. yeah. So it's it's kind of it really. Um, drives people to
2: self-custody.
0: So you talk about um, spending a lot of time, like all of us who've been in the space, uh, have trying to promote Bitcoin and explain its benefits and help people on board. How do you view ordinals now as adding to that picture?
2: You know, it's really interesting and that's something that took me a while to understand uh, because the first thing I thought was, okay, that's NFTs on Bitcoin. That's just, you know, okay, they found a way to do like a token scheme and they put like whatever. It's just They just copied whatever they did on Ethereum. And actually, it's entirely not that at all. Um, uh, so inscriptions, I feel like they kind of inherit some features of Bitcoin. Um, the important ones. <laughs> So one is immutability, right? So when you have this JPEG on like this inscription on Ordinals, you cannot like the creator can the, loses all control. You cannot change the the inscription itself. You cannot um you cannot change the way that people are allowed to transfer them. So on Ethereum uh, a lot of NFTs have been experimenting with like sort of whitelists and blacklists of how you can transfer the actual NFT, which marketplaces are allowed or not allowed to um, trade it. Um, those are kind of experiments that pe- creators on Ethereum do all the time. I'm, I'm not saying it's wrong; uh, it's just not very Bitcoin-like. So it's in 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 Bitcoin inscriptions. Once they're done, they're done. No one's gonna change anything on you. It is what it is. You own it. It's yours. It's over. Um, and some creators might not like that. Um, but for the holder that gives you a lot of kind of freedom and rights that you might not have on other platforms. So that's one thing that immutability, of course, you know, the JPEG is going to be there forever, which is not true for most Ethereum NFTs. So that's, you know, another part of it. Um, the other thing is that it has this very true, very real scarcity, um, in the sense that, you know, in the Ethereum NFT world, when people talk about scarcity. Yeah, sure, like you have the board apes and the smart contract says there's only going to be 10,000 of them. So that's it. And that's true. But you can also at the same day do another smart contract that has another 10,000 or another 100,000 or another million. And there's really no limit to how many NFTs you can create in a day. You wanted to, you could create, you know, many millions of of pieces every day if you wanted to. with inscriptions, you know, they take up block space. <laughs> so that's as scarce as you can get. You, If you want to make an inscription, you have to acquire this very expensive material, which is the Bitcoin block space. And you have to use it in order to mold the, this inscription that you want to have. Um, without that, you can't do it. And we all know that there's only going to be, um, you know, 100, 144 blocks every day, each of them up to four megabytes and not more. And that is all you have to work with if you were an inscription creator. There's not, gonna, and everyone has to share this, um, so that makes those truly scarce. Like the material that the inscriptions are made of, are true is truly scarce. Right. So I think those two things together. I mean, one, they create a completely different dynamic that that just makes the market interesting. It's not just a copy of the Ethereum NFT market, um, but also I think they're very similar. They they kind of. Inherit a lot of Bitcoin's properties. So when 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 someone who's interested in Ethereum NFTs is onboarded into the inscription community and s- tries to starts to try them out, I feel like I think yeah, I think they learn some of the stuff that we believe makes Bitcoin special through that.
0: Yeah. So it is spreading the, the message and the, the I values. I really think so.
2: I really think – and I, I didn't get that at, at first, but but these days I, I really – yeah. It's I really think fascinating. It's...
0: Um, what do you think about the fact that um, an ordinal theory – now, if our, view, our listeners you know don't remember this, um, we're not going to go deep into necessarily exactly what it is. But go back and watch our interview with Casey Rodemore from mm. Febru- February. That was a good one. Um, thank you. And um, so you got the inscriptions. That's the data burned, inscribed. I love the love the term inscription, by the yeah. way, I love it because it, <laughs> I do think of Bitcoin as like a digital stone tablet in mm-hmm. that way, right? It, it is the most immutable ledger. It is the scarcest block space, I would say, um, that is reliably scarce. I would, um, and so you inscribe the data and then you've got the ordinal, which is a unique individual sat, mm-hmm. uh, which the ordinal's protocol software um, then can connect to the inscription and that's what we're moving around as sort of the token that... You know, determines ownership of the inscription.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, but it's it's not a native Bitcoin protocol function. it's it's kind of like a layer on built on top. Mm-hmm. You know, if I say actually, I want to look at sats in reverse order mm-hmm. or I want to only look at prime numbered sats or whatever, we could make up another way to yep. count individual satoshis and that. Um, but so is that whereas on ethereum, I mean, these tokens, they're real. I mean, they now most you point out most of the data, the jpegs, aren't on Ethereum. They're just pointing yeah. to some link somewhere. Um so those aren't real, but the tokens are kind of realer, but then on Bitcoin the data is more real, but the tokens are a little bit less real. How do you think about that?
2: Yeah. So Does it you know, matter? On 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 this, you know, what's real, right? What is yeah. real and what isn't. Um I think what makes uh the Ethereum tokens different is that there's I guess the the tokens are part of the consensus protocol. Like, you know, miners or these days takers have to agree on the state of tokens. Where in in ordinals no, they don't. They don't they're not even aware that it exists. Um and you could easily be a participant in the Bitcoin network without even being uh, aware of any of this. Now that in my view, fits into the Bitcoin ethos pretty well too because when you look at a lot of the kind of uh, protocols that people have been building on top of Bitcoin over the years, you know, like Lightning, like uh, sidechain stuff, like, um, um, you know, a lot of thoughts around, I remember scriptless scripts used to be a thing that people used to talk about and maybe now with Taproot that's going to, when they happen. Um, those kind of things have been all about, you know, not um, putting... Uh, too much stress on the consensus protocol, and doing things in a way that people who do not want to participate don't have to be aware of it. That's kind of the Bitcoin ethos in a way, and that what it does is it allows the base layer to be very efficient, um, uh, removes a lot of issues with with scaling, um, because really what you're saying is, look, I don't have to involve the entire. Bitcoin industry and community with the the this little thing that I'm doing. If they want to, they can. If they don't, they don't have to, and it just becomes easier. Um, so I think I think that really fits the Bitcoin spirit very well. Now, as to are they real or not, you know. It's just a way to interpret transactions, right? Like I think it's very similar <laughs> if if you're the type of person who pays taxes, for example, <laughs> that I think it's it's actually very familiar to you that it's basically just a first in first out accounting method, really. That's what all ordinal theory is. Um, and I think that you know most um, tax professionals will say that it is very real. <laughs> you know yeah. So it, it, it depends on who you ask. And I think that's kind of what's nice about it. Like, you don't have to subscribe to it.
0: I I agree that it is very much in line with sort of the Bitcoin development ethos, um, which is funny because um, some Bitcoin developers are very upset about it. Mm. Um, You know, I think there is a case to be made that um, it's – I certainly don't believe this, but that it, it bloats the chain. You know, I mean the inscription the, part. The, the quite, inscription yeah. part. Yeah. The ordinal, I think, is that's exactly how Bitcoin developers wanted to do stuff like this. It's even better than like um, you know, using OpReturn, which also yeah. adds data. Um, but um do you think on that point, do you think there will be a? have seen some pad there's orders slow as a new one. Um there's or, uh, Luke Dash Jr. had or Disrespector. Um, what did he say? He said you're lying and tricking the code. Yeah. Someone said, "Well, aren't people just when they inscribe, aren't they just using Taproot and Bitcoin exactly as developed?" And he said, "No,
2: they're <laughs> lying and tricking the code."
0: Um, my node is accepting them as valid, so I'm pretty sure they're legit. But yeah. Um, do you? And so then he released or Disrespector, which I believe is is um, it is a essentially like a plugin or a patch that that. Uh, allows your node not to even download the inscriptions in the first place. They can already be pruned if you want, but um, if you don't want to download them, you can use his. And there's another one that I saw, which was um, – it's called Ord is Slow. Yeah. And I think the idea is that uh, it's almost like um, IEX, the equities exchange that was trying to combat high-frequency trading from the book <laughs> Flash Boys. They wanted to add a speed bump. Uh, To the high-frequency trading so that uh, everybody would it would be just slow enough that you wouldn't really wouldn't be worth like front-running or doing high-frequency trading there Yeah, the idea was with this is that you would your node would just like Delay like the propagation of any block that had an inscription in it just a little bit Such that it would become if everybody ran it then miners would probably just avoid those blocks and go for the anyway, do you think anything like that will either be um, widely adopted sort of a patch um, or more dramatically, any kind of fork that removes this functionality. What, yeah. what do you think the likelihood of that is?
2: Well, let's let's first clarify my uh, incentives, <laughs> because people assume, well, he's all about temporal wizards, so he obviously wants uh, inscriptions to keep going. My incentives are very much aligned with uh, killing inscriptions right now, because. Um, we already have the entire Temple Wizard collection out. It will be very. It will be great for us mm-hmm. if no one else
0: could make inscriptions. We're gonna be like right because you can already transfer the sets. I mean, yeah. They, any that's interesting. A fork, for example, like they can't prevent these from being transferred. Exactly, or, and they can't really delete. I mean, they could say like find any block if you run this version of Bitcoin Core, and like go out, go back there, and delete all of the mm. inscription data off your node. Good luck. But we could still just anyone could just not do that and just yeah. run. Yeah, like, they would exist. Exactly. Good luck. Yeah. 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 So,
2: so That's yeah. That's interesting. So, yeah. The, 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 they cannot make them not transferable because that will require um, literally, like, blacklisting all of those sats which is not going to happen especially considering ordinals theory is not part of consensus so you can't blacklist them you so, have to add ordinals theory to the consensus <laughs> <yeah>. and then
0: <laughs> block it
2: yeah yeah so so making them not transferable is yeah. simply not possible um and and so my incentives are very much aligned with uh, the Bitcoin developers finding a way to stopping inscriptions <laughs> from being a thing. That would be great because because then because yours are already m- mine inscribed already inscribed and that that's <laughs> fantastic. However, I am so convinced that it is not something that they can do that I'm not going to pursue that <laughs> yeah, uh, path. Yeah. Um, I just don't I just don't see a way um, to stop this because um, you know these two patches. My opinion about this is pretty harsh. It's, um, I I think it's just children virtue signaling, really. That's what it is, because um, it has absolutely no effect over anything. If it had, that would have been very concerning, not for inscriptions, but for Bitcoin. Like if uh, some pissed off children could have, (laughs) you know, uh, manipulate the uh, Bitcoin peer-to-peer network to censor the type of transactions that they don't want. Then uh, that would mean that the probably United States government can do it too, right? And you know, China can do it too. Um, and you know, it's actually it's a fascinating discussion if we want to talk about how the um, the peer to peer network for for propagating transactions in Bitcoin works. It does have you know some well known uh, issues that probably like a state actor probably could try to take advantage of, but um, uh, not not a bunch of angry boys in their <laughs> in their uh, basement no
0: no let's talk about Bitcoin maximalism a little bit because you you I think were certainly one of the loudest if not maybe the loudest of the last you know called about the last year maybe in particular some would say I'm obsessed yeah yeah um, <laughs> and you and you pointed out that what really got you excited about ordinals in the first place mm-hmm. was seeing uh all the anger from some Bitcoin maximalists about it um what is the, at the core of your uh, criticism of sort of today's bitcoin maximalism?
2: Yeah. So, you know, for people who don't know me, for 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 quite a long period of time, I was probably known as a bitcoin maximalist myself, right? Yeah. And
0: I mean, I just recall we were ta- I was talking about you uh, with you about this before we started recording, but um, you were one of the biggest promoters of the Lightning Network um, yeah. during, particularly during COVID. We were all stuck inside, but Udi used to run uh, these virtual reality Lightning meetups, straight yeah. up, um, uh, and those were awesome. Uh, so just to, just to echo that, I mean, you were you were I think on the forefront in many ways of yeah. of Bitcoin uh, mainstream Bitcoin culture back then. Yeah. So yeah, what, what, what changed or or how did you know? Bring us up up to the present day.
2: So it's you know I think it's all of those I had all of those revelations kind of together in the same like one year period. And you know I I I keep saying I've always said that um, even even when you're around Bitcoin for a long time, uh, I think you always learn new things about it. And always when I say that, I feel like well, I'm saying that because it's it's a nice thing to say, but. No, I, I actually, I know everything now. My, surely I know everything now, right? And then a year later, like, man, damn, I actually did it. <laughs> and yeah. it always it always keeps happening. And, um, and um, I think that was one of those things that I kind of had this epiphany around that it, it's something changed. Between 2017 to 2021, something changed. Uh, big change I think Uh, because if you look at the previous Bitcoin rally in 2017 and just the you know the ICO boom and all of that crap uh, everyone back in 2017 wanted to onboard into anything in crypto like um, you know um, Ethereum Ripple uh, IOTA ICOs whatever was happening back then they had to go through Bitcoin if you went to Coinbase
0: I think you only could buy Bitcoin back then. Uh, maybe you know. for a while. Even uh, it was four coins. It was Bitcoin, ETH, Litecoin, and then Bitcoin Cash. Eventually, right. maybe XRP. Maybe was the other one at that time. I can't recall. But yes, yeah. I mean, and even and shortly before that, it was Bitcoin only.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you 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 kind of you want you know if you wanted to trade <laughs> any other coin, you would go. You would buy some Bitcoin. You would withdraw it to your wallet. So you end up with an actual Bitcoin wallet. Then you would transfer some of it to like whatever I don't know like Poloniex or something uh, back at the it, Polo yeah Polo <laughs> yeah. Bitrex Bitfinex. Yeah. yeah yeah and you would use those bitcoins in order to buy whatever shitcoins you wanted to have, right? Uh, and at the end of the you know of the bubble where most of those coins definitely most of the ICOs kind of went to zero and disappeared, sure people took a lot of you know big hits. But they ended up with some Bitcoin in their wallet. And they became Bitcoiners in, in in that sense. And they end up learning about Bitcoin out of necessity, kind of. And some of them found long-term value in it. Um, fast forward to 2021, I would say that barely happened at all. Because I think, um, and there are many reasons to that, you know, like stable coins became way more popular, uh, Ethereum, but is also a reason, like, I think that um, people who decided to not play the centralized exchange game and instead to try DeFi stuff and try NFTs on like self-custody platforms, Um, they just bought ETH. They bought ETH, put it in their MetaMask wallet, started trading it, uh, started trading NFTs. And of course, yeah, bull market ended. Most of these NFTs, not all of them, but most of them went to absolute zero and completely disappeared, but they still had some ETH in their MetaMask and they're ETH people now. And I think that five years from now, uh, I think we're going to feel this as Bitcoiners. Like I think we're going to have a problem where we missed out on a full bull cycle where we did not onboard a lot of new people. We We onboarded some, of course but um, not from the larger crypto ecosystem. Yeah, it was like it
0: was less about utility which uh, what bitcoiners did join mm-hmm. during that period and it was about something else. I mean, what yeah. what was it about? I mean, that's that's what I want to get you to is the laser eyes and and the and the you know the the modern maximalism of not only must you be a bitcoiner but you have to hate everything else, right? Right. That really I feel like did emerge a lot uh, more strongly after well after 2017 and maybe even during the pandemic to be honest um yeah although it started i mean keep in mind as i mean ethereum went all the way down to like $89 mm. uh during the last bear market so i mean there was a huge i think bitcoin dominance went up to uh, well oh, yeah. over 70% so mm-hmm. there was a flea back uh rush back to bitcoin but then sometime in i think in the summer of 2020 is when i really started to notice when defi summer happened yeah and then sort of after that, it was like, wait, there's, you know, the ICOs were dead, but there's this other, you know, for lack of a better word, shit coinery that can now be done that mm-hmm. got people excited about Ethereum that Bitcoin had no part of. And it feels like around that time is when it sort of really turned um, to this, I call more hardline Bitcoin maximalism. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So, you know. While the Ethereum community gained a lot of uh people were fascinated with DeFi and a lot of like, you know, art collectors and 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 culture connoisseurs, uh, the Bitcoin community got a lot of laser eyes and a lot of people who claim to only eat steak. And I don't have a particular problem with people who eat steak. I eat a lot of steak, yeah. mostly steak even. <laughs> but I just don't see how it relates to Bitcoin at all. Um and um that's fine like we i think it's i think it's great to have like um a sector of bitcoiners was very enthusiastic about stakes like that's awesome <laughs> i just don't think that should be our main like value proposition yeah <laughs> i don't think that should be the one thing we put in front of everything else um uh, you know one the one moment was kind of Difficult for me personally is a because look, I care deeply about Bitcoin. You know, it's been a very important part of my adult life. You know, it's a sentimental thing, really. And one thing that was kind of difficult for me was in twenty twenty one, there was the, you know there was the big Bitcoin Miami conference, and um, they had this infamous uh, segment with uh, I think it was Michael Saylor with um, Max Keiser on stage. And Max Kaiser is jumping up and down and yelling, fuck Elon, fuck Elon. We're never selling. We're never selling. And there's this huge, massive Bitcoin logo behind him. And of course, like all of the mainstream media picked up on this. And like they're like, look at those insane Bitcoiners. They're, it's basically like Bitcoin Act 2. Because it's it did seem like that. It was the same, like, you know, and the crowd He's is yelling. standing up, cheering, like, yeah, it's fuck Elon. And, like, and I'm sitting there like thinking, wait, what is this about? What does this have to do with Bitcoin? <laughs> what does this have to do with anything? You know, like, fine, you don't like Elon, okay. I mean, okay, but how is that, why is that the thing that we're putting out there as the representative of Bitcoin? And it's great to have a a segment of the Bitcoin community who is suspicious of Elon and suspicious of other things and suspicious of vegetables, that's great, fine. (laughs) But like, I have no problem with that. They they should exist, you know? But the fact that they're like representative of the Bitcoin brand, I think has done more harm than good in the last few years. it for sure attracted some people. Some people are attracted by that, and that's fine. Um, but I think we should have like – we should strive for kind of more than just those people. <laughs> and, you know? that's,
0: and that's what in your mind Ordinals – one of the things Ordinals brings here is it a broadening yeah. of Bitcoin culture. Yeah, 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 absolutely, so absolutely. with Taproot Wizards, um, you talked about the wizard shower. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> there was but the other tasks um it's things like make a lightning transaction or donation uh using lightning um download a wallet and and, and right these are sort of bitcoin native tasks
2: yeah yeah so we did we did this thing we called it the wizard's school. it's like um wizard's like school, a, yeah it's yeah. like harry potter <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's like this you know it's this web experience that people are are going through in order to um kind of join the wizard community and um And because people, you know, especially from the, you know, more from the NFT crowd, but also kind of old-timer Bitcoiners have been pretty excited about this too. Um, Because people are, you know, fairly excited about this whole type of wizard thing. They wanted to be a part of it. Um, They went through the steps and the the quests in the wizard school. And the first quest that we put out was about having people try out Lightning. We assumed that most, most of the people in our audience, in our community, Probably never tried Lightning before um, because they, I mean, many of them never tried Bitcoin before at all. And even if they did, they didn't really have a reason to try Lightning. Um, so we we're like, okay, let's let's just let them try it um, and see what happens. And we we wanted to, you know, we wanted to do something good. We said, okay, let's let's make it. We we made a donation to the Human Rights Foundation for their um, Bitcoin Development Fund. And you know, we didn't want to charge people a lot. We didn't want them to to, to make people donate, a, 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 make a di- large right. donation. So Lightning kind of made sense we, because you can have people make small donations.
0: And it works, right?
2: And, and it works, yeah, and you collect all of them and it ended up, you know, being a nice number. It was $20,000 that we we were able to collect from, from participants and donate. Where, where did um, you guys
0: donate? Where, where did that get donated?
2: Well, yeah, it was all to the Human Rights Foundation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, um... So they, you know, and what was really interesting, one, it, it just worked. It worked very smoothly, too. Um, I honestly, very few people complain about anything, and the few people who did it was because of some, you know, issues we had on our back end with all of the interest we got very quickly. But um, lightning, you know, just worked on, on that particular instance. <laughs> and um, people were very impressed. Like, we we were looking through, you know, responses in our Discord server and stuff, and people were like, Man, I had no idea that you can make Bitcoin transactions so quickly and so cheaply. They just a lot of people were like, "Hey, this is just like Solana. This is really (laughs) cool." That's what a ton of
0: people said. It is wild to think about how you know now, um, like if a if a roll up launches on Ethereum, that Mm. thing will have like a billion TVL in like Mm. a day or like two days, right? The Ethereum Ethereum and even just the altcoin sort of ecosystem and users are, are very accustomed to like. Bridging to a side chain or whatever, and they yep. just—it's—it's it's like the Bitcoiners don't do it a lot themselves. Yep. But Lightning works. I mean, Lightning—I yep. think has gotten pretty resilient. I use it a decent amount. It's not—it's, but it—it should be more widely used. Yeah. Um, Bitcoiners aren't really sort of that interested yet. Um, so we you know many of many of the most hardcore ones are, but I mean, it, it's funny to hear that that they that they weren't aware because Bit, you know even the Bitcoin maximalists have been promoting. Lightning for a long time. Oh, yeah. Rightly so, because it, it it's pretty good. I mean it for small payments in particular.
2: So what we kind of realize, and it's just big picture of what we're trying to do with Tap Wizards, is we don't believe anymore that yelling at, at people on podcasts is gonna change their behavior a lot. Um I used to think that, you know, when I was younger. But I don't really think that anymore. And you just look at, you know, I'm i am not ashamed of this. You look at the rest of the crypto ecosystem and there's already a playbook, right, to how you generate activity around things or you get people to try things for the first time. Um, and I think we can learn from that. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of what we're trying to do. We're trying to say, okay, we're going to stick to Bitcoin values. We're not going to do like um, crazy um, uh, DeFi stuff, but we we can get people excited about type of wizards and use that in order to to get them to try Bitcoin ecosystem stuff. And so, <laughs> you know, funny story, when we did that lightning quest, it, it only lasted for 48 hours. Um, it was pretty short, but during those 48 hours, I had two CEOs of different lightning companies reach out to me asking like, hey, uh, we're seeing a lot of activities, Is this you, mm-hmm. did you do this? And then the next question was, "Can you stop?" <laughs> because apparently they weren't really ready to handle yeah, for that
0: liquidity. And yeah, I mean, you definitely caused a large influx of Lightning users, new Lightning users.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So it was, yeah, it was large in any, you know, in any metric of, of the Lightning network. It was uh, very unusual. Yeah, I think we looked at. Um, Last time I looked, like maybe a week or two ago, I looked at how many people tried Lightning as part of Nostr. Um, Nostr has this cool yeah, feature to, it's pretty cool. to pay, you know, Lightning transactions to other people, and they, you know, people use it relatively routinely. Um, but the number of users who used it is around again. That was two weeks ago that I looked. It was around 11,000 people. Um, so we got through that number in forty-eight hours, <laughs> you know. Um if we kept this the quest going we would have been way 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 higher. Um we just, you know, we intentionally wanted to make it time limited and we we will do other lightning things. Yeah. Um so I just think that the th- this this method of of kind of incentivizing people to try out um ecosystem tools it works. Yeah. So you know? what
0: will the in- what is the incentive? I mean, is it I I complete all the wizard quests and that puts me front of the line for um like an airdrop like a taproot wizard you've already inscribed them all right so right, how right. many are there first of all by the way
2: so there are the the number is 2121 so 2121 temple wizards um and we you know similarly to how um you know uh, <laughs> similarly to how founders of like other crypto systems will not talk about the airdrop before it happens uh i we can't talk about it too much. I can't like give you the details of how it's gonna happen because then people are gonna game it. but the general idea is yes, you participate in the quests, you do well um one way or another, you'll get your opportunity to to be part of the temple wizards community if if you do well in the quests um now you know it is it, it just to set expectations there are only twenty one hundred and twenty one temple wizards. Um, and there's always there already so there have been like t- over 20,000 people who participate yeah. in quests and so there are going to be more so. quests. So not everyone's going to win. So you need to you need to do well. <laughs> Got it.
0: All right. One last question, Udi, uh, before we wrap it up. And, and it's been a great conversation. I've I, I really enjoyed this. Um, actually, maybe I'll have one more after that. But we'll, we'll, one question here. So the Bitcoin maximalists were, uh, you know, seething a bit about and some and still are about ordinals. What about the Ethereum NFT community other than mm. the you know you've got many who came in and got excited about it as you pointed out yeah. but are they uh, are the Ethereum NFT maximalists are they also mad about this some are
2: uh, I've but I've seen you know I from my experience the Ethereum NFT the Ethereum maximalists have been mostly open to at least discuss it um you know that the, the one thing that you just cannot ignore is that, you know, Bitcoin maximalists, as soon as they heard of this, before it even became a thing, they immediately like, um, they basically said, it's a scam, it's immoral, it's uh, it's terrible for the Bitcoin network. Anyone who does this is a terrible person. Um, they And they clearly did not look into the details because if they had, they would, I'm sure they would still hate it, but they would use other excuses to hate it. Um, so they cle- clearly they hated it before they even looked at it. I think on the Ethereum side, even uh, the ones who are not big fans, at least, you know, they're open to look into it first, um, which I think is supposed to be pretty normal, you know, just normal behavior. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't... I, and it's, of course, like, of course some people are not going to like it. That's fine, <laughs> you know. Um, but I found, no, I found that most of the Ethereum people have been either, you know, either they didn't care or they, they were pretty interested Um Mostly, yeah, mostly people who hated it from both camps have been people who didn't look into it yet, yeah,
0: all right. Last question. So I know you're 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 very bullish on on uh, Ordinals expanding Bitcoin culture. Mm. You've been working for years to get people interested in Bitcoin and teach them how to use it. You know, fast forward ten, fifteen years. Do you mm. think uh, is Bitcoin more important just in an absolute basis than it is today? and then relative to the other cryptos do you think bitcoin mm. remember that og bitcoin maximalist thesis that any that that altcoins were test nets for bitcoin yeah and we haven't really seen that play out um yet but maybe ordinals is one of the first most concrete ways that um it's could yeah. play, it's starting to play out so on an absolute basis and relative to the other cryptos where do you see bitcoin in 10 years
2: that's a tough one <laughs> um look i'm uh, <laughs> On Bitcoin, I'm always bullish and probably always going to remain bullish. Um, and I do think that it's, you know, you never know exactly how, like what is gonna happen and why and how things are gonna play out. But I think there there are very good odds that Bitcoin will continue to grow more and more important over the next decade, which, uh, you know, which is not necessarily a happy thought, <laughs> it kind of like, it's kind of a pessimistic outlook, right? It's kind of an outlook of things are things might just in the general sense of of the world, things might need to go a little bit uh a little bit worse before they can get better. Um so and in that sense, yeah, Bitcoin can play a very important part. Uh as far as this is great. As far <laughs> as far, <laughs> Teeing up the outro here. <laughs> as far as um as far as ornals go and just just Bitcoin's importance in the crypto yeah, scene. Yeah, relative
0: to the other cryptos, you know, the that epic crypto Twitter maximalist battle between ETH maxis, Bitcoin maxis, et cetera. Like do you you know, are we uh, not even like predicting Bitcoin dominance, but that would be one way to to explain yeah. a view
2: on it. I think that um what I would be interested in is Bitcoin hopefully going back to its role as the sort of king of crypto. That's usually how people refer to it at, back in the day. It would be like, yeah, whatever, there's all those other coins. Um, they're interesting. We'll trade them. We'll build the stuff on it. Cool. But Bitcoin is king. Uh, that kind of notion I feel like kind of disappeared recently in the last couple of years, um, or at least kind of slowed down a bit. Um, Because, uh, and I think a big reason of it is just because we didn't onboard new people. Like, I I think the big thing that changed is we stopped trying to maintain that image of, yeah, you want to do crypto, sure, do it. Like Do whatever you want. You want to trade those, like have fun. I don't care, but but you should probably have like 5% of your portfolio in Bitcoin still. You made profits on those, like you should probably put some of it in Bitcoin um, because that's why we do it. that's the that's the end goal. Um, I think we should strive to maintain that image. Um, but instead, I think a lot of at least the loud people online have been trying to do kind of the opposite kind of distance themselves from from the crypto culture. Um, which the reason I think it's a mistake is because like you don't have to agree with any of the thing that the crypto people do. What matters is they are like the lowest hanging fruit for people that you can convert to actually become Bitcoin native in the sense that they hold Bitcoin and use it to pay for things. <laughs> they have a mental model of, um, you know, my savings are in Bitcoin. They could have a mental model of my savings are in Bitcoin and not in dollars. And I'm trying to have more Bitcoin. And when I'm spending, I'm going to look at how much does this cost me in Bitcoin terms, because that's what matters. Um, that's how that's how crypto used to be. And it's very easy to get there because they're already using ETH or SOL or whatever as their currency for trading, you know, NFTs or DeFi stuff or what have you. Um, changing that to Bitcoin is not a very tall order. Uh, they already use, you know... Um, um, uh, self-custody they already do all of this stuff so converting them into people who are Bitcoiners is really not that difficult you know yeah um, so I would say if we can't convince these guys I do not understand how we think that people just normal people in Germany are going to use Bitcoin as their main currency I don't understand that like we we should first test this on, on the people who are
0: very easy to get to get to get to and then yeah sure let's do the El Salvador stuff as well you know love it Udi Wartimer, Taproot Wizard number one. Um, Thank you so much for being on Galaxy Brains. And welcome to New York. Yeah, I love New York. But thanks Uh, for inviting me. Anytime. That's it for Galaxy Brains this week. Thank you to our guests Udi Wartimer and Bimnet BB as always. Look, man, I'm looking over my shoulder here at the block clock. Things are feeling pretty magical. We will see you next week. Thanks for listening to Galaxy Brains, the weekly podcast from Galaxy Research. If you enjoy the show, please like, rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. To follow Galaxy Research, sign up for our weekly newsletter at gdr.email, read our content at galaxy.com research, and follow us on Twitter at research. See you next week.